You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. You know, if uh, you're guests with us online here this morning, grateful to have you in the mix. I uh, do want to encourage you, uh, if you have the ability to connect with one of our small groups here over the next six weeks, we are about to embark on an amazing journey. Uh, we do have Kit Cummings here with us this morning, which is uh, the main reason for what we're going to be embarking on the next six weeks. I'm not going to say a whole lot. Those of you that have had the opportunity to experience Kit so far, what are your thoughts? I think we're in for a wild ride here over the next few weeks just to see how God works. The small miracles, the big miracles, and everything in between that we're going to be able to be party to. But with that, I give you Kid Cummings. And Roots. They're quick studies, bro. Everybody loves Roots. Oh, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. It's great to be together again. You guys have uh, made such a wonderful impression um, on me that I get to take home today. Uh, miss my wife terribly. Can't wait to get back home tonight. Um, but this has been wonderful. I've gotten to have some great one-on-one time and then uh, collectively on Wednesday night. I'm really, really looking forward to this coming series. And I hope on Wednesday nights um, it's a time where I mean, some people are going to be coming back with, with miracles that they've seen. Others are going to be like, man, this ain't working for me. And others are going to be like, man, I'm, I'm having a hard time getting started. And somebody else has shared, man, I'm a little, I'm a little afraid. Has anybody felt a little bit of fear? Yeah. And what I say to that is, that's exactly where you're supposed to be at this point. Because if you're going to try to do something that you've never done or go somewhere you've never gone before, there's going to be a little bit of fear. It's the unknown. We tend to naturally gravitate toward the comfortable, something we know, something that fits my routines, and our whole life is built on habits. And then all of a sudden, we're going to interject, and we're going to interrupt, and we're going to redirect, and we're going to try some things maybe that are outside of your comfort zone. Amen. And I'm going to ask you just for the next 40 days just to set aside your preconceived notions about what you think it's going to be or your prejudgments about what you think is possible and what's not possible. Maybe you're, you're bringing in some, you know, former attitudes toward projects in general. You ever felt that way? No. Oh, great. We're going to do another book. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All of us have been there. And I'm the same way. We want to be good soldiers, but really, we got to do it again. And so I'm just, I'm just saying we're in different places. Some of you guys are built for this. Give us another one, man. I did the last one 14 times, and I'm excited about this one. And everybody's like, good for you. You know what I'm saying? One of those kind. With my student-athletes, we call those tryhards. You ever heard of a tryhard? Tryhard's the one that's out there in practice, just giving it all you got. And everybody's like, dude, settle down. This is practice. And you got one dude that's the tryhard. You know what I'm saying? Well, we're going to have a couple of tryhards in here. You know, as soon as the good news sharing, your hand is up. You can't wait to share about the latest miracle. God bless you, okay? God bless you. Now, most of the rest of us are going to be trying to start breaking some habits that have been in place for a long, long time. Think about how long you've been around this thing. Some of y'all are like from the 80s and from the 90s and y'all have been doing this. You've had about 14,000 quiet times. 
like do the math, probably something like that, right? Probably. And a lot of times, I don't know, whatever we do a lot, the brain gets very good at, wraps habits around it, builds, stuffs it down in the subconscious so that you can be aware and do other things, okay? So if our spiritual rituals have become routines and habits, and we wonder why I've kind of lost my spark, man. It's like sometimes it helps just to reposition yourself, get totally outside of whatever it is, you know, that you're working on. And so this is a way to do that. The, the things that I, that I will share and even the things I'm going to share this morning, they're coming from one man's journey, one man's experience. This is the way I see things. These are convictions I have for me. They're not yours. You get to decide that. What your practice looks like, what your walk looks like, based on your strengths and your weaknesses and what works well for you. But maybe some of the things that I share, you can pick them up and try them. And if it's something that enhances and enriches your relationship with God and your prayer life, then keep it, steal it, forget where you got it. It'll become original. <laughs> That's how it works. And so if it's something that doesn't fit right with you, then, then leave it. Don't take it. You know, these are all just, this is an invitation. And for those who are not really there yet, all right, you've got the book. You know we're going to be doing it. You know what the book says to do, but you're just kind of stuck. Like, I don't even know. I've had so many people say, I don't even know what my impossible prayers are. Mm. And, and in case you haven't really looked into it yet, they're impossible prayers to me because they're things that, that I need God's intervention on. And then I just decided I want him to intervene in all my affairs. So I'm just going to call everything a miracle. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you to indulge me on that. Because some of you are going to have some issues with that. It's like this word miracle, that's sacred. That's when the sun stopped in the sky for Joshua. That is a bona fide, supernatural miracle. And I say, yes. Amen. When God intervenes in a way in my life where he gets my attention and I see him and it's something that I'm chasing, I'm going to call that a miracle too. Yeah. I'm going to say he got involved, man. He got my attention. We communicated. We, we, we connected on this thing. And then that became just a way of life for me. So I started doing some things that were way out of the box for me. I as God said, you know, I'm not going to be praying like I used to pray. I'm just going to kind of like my prayer is going to be a walking prayer life. Are you cool with that for a little minute? And the same thing with the way I started studying the Bible, the frequency, the time, the place, how I do it, how I pray. It just became much more of a lifestyle, walking with him. I always wondered about those obscure little scriptures that Enoch walked with God. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what does that even mean? Keep in step with the spirit. It means that my life is not compartmentalized, where this is my prayer time, it's my evangelism time, this is my family time, this is my date night. This is my time with my kids. These are my ministry responsibilities. It's like boxes. We live in these boxes. And we wonder why we're suffocating. You know what I'm saying? Come on, bro. We sleep. We sleep in a little box. And then we leave that box and go downstairs to another box. We hang out with the people that live in our box. And then we get into a box and we drive the same place to another box where we go in and we work. And in that box, I got my own little box. And I'm around the same people all the time. And I'm working on my box. And then I go and I get back in my box. And I go the same way I always go home to my big box. And I pull into the, my box into the box box. And then I go inside and I open myself a box. And it's like, it's like, 
I'm sorry, it just indulge me. It's like, and we're wondering why we're not on fire anymore. Man, we're living in boxes. Everything's in a box. I got to be able to measure it. You know, even my religion, I got to be able to measure it and defend it. And it's like boxes, boxes, boxes. And it suffocated me. So I just blew the heck out of my box. It was ugly. But it got me into a place that I had never been before. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer I'm going to invite to join us on this journey. If you're not ready for it, then just pray. Father, give me some signs to let me know that, that you're ready for me to do this. Do that. Don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it because everybody else is doing it. Don't do that. We've done enough of those things. Like, if you're going to do this thing, do it. Like, for real. And if it doesn't work, at the end of the six weeks, I will refund you your pain and misery. <laughs> wow. Not joking. Wow. I'm just kind of a little bit kidding. So try something new. It's, it's built with steps because people like steps. It's, it's, we do like some structure. We're built like that. Like we're good soldiers. Like give me direction. And so I needed something like that. It's like, man, I'm going to hit my knees first thing, and that's going to, my first thoughts of the day are going to be on him. My first words, I haven't looked at my phone. The world has not gotten my attention yet. It's like, Father, good morning. Thank you. Help me be the man you want me to be today. Please take care of mine. I love you. I got to go to the bathroom. It's about like that. And I've been getting out on my knees for so long, I can't get out of bed any other way. This is the truth. I can't. Yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't have, uh, Uncle G. I'm going I'm to teach you who about Uncle G on Wednesday night. Uncle G is what I call my brain. So, <laughs> so anyway, it's a process. I'm not just going to have desires. I'm going to communicate my desires old school because when I write something down, it becomes real. Yeah. When it comes out of my head and out of my heart and I write it down, it becomes very real. And if I review it every day, it stays in the front of my mind throughout the day, the things that are the desires of my heart. Because he promises if I delight myself in him, keep a childlike spirit, that he'll grant me the desires of my heart. And life can be an adventure. And that's what he promises me. All right, so I'm going to keep it in front of him, and I'm going to pay attention to those things. Every one of your miracle prayers, there's going to be a, a measurable step you can take. This is going to be a, a dance that you're going to start to do. You write down the things you want. You meditate on them. You visualize them. Then you go out and you make moves toward them, knowing that he's going to make a move and show you something. Amen. And it becomes this really cool game. And if you do it long enough, it's second nature. It's when I write something down in my book, now I'm like positive, positive. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of where is it going to show up. Can I find it? And then my brain has gotten trained to look for him in everything. My ear picks up conversation. My eyes will notice things, much like when you're in the market for a new car. What does your brain start doing for you? Finding that car without asking your permission. It's called the reticular activating system, and it's the part of your brain that notices things and allows you to focus. And then all of a sudden, black Cadillac Escalade, doop, there it is right there, boss. It's like Uncle G knows to find what I, well, I'm just retraining him to look for different things. Guess what? Be careful. If you spend more time worrying than you do activating your imagination on what you do desire, then your brain will deduce that worrying is very important and we must do a lot of it. 
and that he's going to start to search instead of black Cadillac Escalades, he's searching for drama because he knows that's very important to you. Because you spend a lot of your headspace on it, you spend a lot of your time talking about it, certain things go on a heavy rotation. Just like the ticker tape at the bottom of the Fox News or the CNN, it's the heavy rotation. We got those two. Heavy rotations in our mind, heavy rotation. Have you heard? What's the latest? Before we know it, we're caught up in so much stuff that we're not even seeing God work anymore. We're basically just having crazy talks in the head with ourselves and more talks with one another and staying in our little boxes, talking about our little deal. I needed something different. And so this is an action program. But let me get into this. I want to read two of my favorite, favorite, favorite scriptures that changed everything for me. And I, I always say this, but I want you to. I want you to listen. And I don't ask you to turn because I just want you to hear it like you never heard it before. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. How does that make you feel? It can make different people feel different ways, depending on where you stand. What, how you feel about your relationship with God. Not your intellectual knowing of did I do ABC? Yes, therefore I must be. It's like, okay, we've got it. But I'm talking about how you feel, your experience. Did you feel naked and laid bare? I mean, this is David, and he is describing his relationship with God and the father that he now knows now that he's been tested now that the storms have come and it's not just the early days where everything is going your way but the storms of life have become and now he's talking about intimacy there's a word intimacy something that's foreign to a, a kid like me 
you protect. Otherwise, people will hurt you. So you got to keep a distance and you got to keep sacred things to yourself and don't let people be what they want you to be. All these little mechanisms and survival techniques and coping strategies to how do we get through life because that right there is a scary place for me. You have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit down. You know when I get up. You know when I lie down. You perceive every thought. You know every word before it leaves my mouth. When I go to the depths, you're there. When I go to the heights, there you are. When I try to go far, you're there too. You are in, over, through, within, without, around. He is all through us. 50 trillion cells. And every one of them is surrounded by the loving presence of God. Infused with it. Pure God stuff is what he says. Do you believe that? Like for real. I'm not talking about intellectually. I'm talking about, is that a, a satisfying, is that gratifying, is that, does that make you feel confident that he knows you like that? Because that scares me, because I know me like that. See, I show you the side I want you to see, but all of us have another side, and that, and that is the definition of intimacy to me. That's why my wife, she's my forever, ever ride or die. Why? Because she knows all the ugly stuff about me and she loves me still. She knows my thoughts. She can read my mind. She knows the words before they're about to leave my mouth. She knows them. You know it too, right? You can say it together. Don't, I know what you're going to say. You know what I'm saying? It's like she perceives me. She knows. She's been with me, man. She, I've been in the depths. She's seen the ugliest me and she's been there. She's seen me high as a kite. Man, just on top of my game, and she saw me there too. She knows me, and she never left. She loved me like that. When you've got somebody that loves you like that, then it's till death do us part. Now, I'm trying to, that's a, that's a human relationship that God has blessed me with true intimacy. I'm known. I'm finally known. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm known by another. I always wanted that. Well, I got to the point where I wanted that with him. Like, I want that. I want all of it. Can I want all of it? I don't want less than. I don't want a watered-down 35-year-old version of what was my first love. I don't want these great stories about the mission field that I can tell from 10 years ago. To still feel relevant. It's like, man, I want something new. I mean, I want a new thing. I want to have that kind of intimacy with a God that seems so far away. I, I can't even be far away. It's not even possible for me to get far away. Like, you're either, he is or he isn't. There is no space apart from him. There's not a thing that I can do today to make him love me less. There's not a thing that I can do today to, to impress him and make him love me anymore. His love is perfect. Right. He's omnipresent everywhere all the time. How can I be separated from that? He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows every thought. I can't fool him. Who am I trying to front? He knows me inside and out, through and through, and he loves me still. I had to get that. Or else I was still going to be juking and jiving and dancing and playing games up here behind the pulpit. Yes. Come on. I needed something more. Amen. And this is the way I found it. 
But then he gets into very, very serious business. He says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I was not hidden when you made me. All of my days were numbered when you saw my unformed body. Do you see perfection? Do you see how he sees us and how he created us? But I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't feel like that. I felt like I was damaged goods. Damaged. I don't get to have all the stuff, abundant life. I don't get to have that. I'm just lucky I get to be at the party. I'm one of those dudes that's going to, I'm going to get in, but I'm going to smell like smoke. <laughs> Shoot, when Paul said, your, your work will be tested, refined by the fire. Yeah. What you built may not survive, but you yourself will escape from the flames. I felt like that was me. All that I built washed away. These are real. So I'm looking at that going, that, I get it, it sounds really cool, David, it's poetic and all, but, no, he messed up when he made me. <laughs> it wasn't this wonderfully and fearfully made, you knit me together. No, you made mistakes. I, how come I got to be like this? I mean, you think about physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, are you more in touch with the things you love about yourself or the things you do not like about yourself? Which gets more attention? I mean, honoring what he made and saying, man, he does not mess up and he made me perfect, knucklehead and all. I saw, I saw this, I don't know where I got it, but it said, when God put a calling on your life, he factored in your stupidity. Well, I like that. We're not even supposed to be perfect. Well, the Bible does say, I know you can quote some scriptures at me, but, but I mean, read the book. All right, this is the human condition. We ain't perfect. We ain't close to it. We're a mess. The yep. problem is we're, I can't say we, I, I, try, I too afraid of what you're going to think if you know how crazy I really am. <laughs> My weird little world. Okay, so, so if I take all this, it's like he knows me better than I know myself. He knows where my brain's going to go before it goes there. He knows where my mouth's about to, to go where, where. He knows before I even know it, he knows it. He even knows my days. I mean, they're all numbered. That means there is a plan. There is a destiny. I have a purpose on this planet, and I ain't checking out until I've lived it. You two, all the days of your life number before one of them came to be, and he knit you together in the womb. He saw it. He saw what you were supposed to do and the potential, the you that had to fall from the tree to find out who you are. And then to see all the ugliness and make the mistakes and do everything wrong and then find out that he loves me still. You know how much pressure that takes off me trying to be perfect? Right. But then if you want to really get deep on it, I'm going to read another one. Isn't it funny how I won't let you guys go there ahead of me? I'm not going to do it because you're going to go, oh, I know this one. Just like we all do. This one is, is a foundational passage for me, and it comes from Paul. 
Paul is trying to describe something that's indescribable. He's been gifted to see some things that nobody has gotten to see. It's like his, his calling was a very painful one. He was lonely. He was not understood. When he got called back to Jerusalem, it's because he was in trouble. They had to have whole meetings and councils about what are we going to do with Paul. Paul's lost his way. He's working with Gentiles. Somebody got to go take charge of Paul. Call him back to Jerusalem. He was always causing trouble. Guys would get in with him, whether it was Mark or Demas or, you know, Timothy was always faithful. But then you had Aristarchus and you had all these John Mark. They would come on with him and they were cool. And then Paul would do something crazy and they'd split. Always drama around Paul. It's being called to do. I mean, it hasn't been really sanctioned by the movement. Oh, don't you go somewhere I did not intend to go. <laughs> don't pull me in. I don't know what that was, but it wasn't what you thought it was. Y'all like, ooh. It was lonely, man, and he's, he's being opposed, being hurt, being just, ah. Oh, there's a lot with him, and he needed people, but his was a solo journey in so many ways. And, and Paul now is going to describe the victory over his flesh. All right? He's the one that would write in Romans, all the things I want to do, I can't seem to do them, and all the things I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Who's going to save me from this body of sin? And then he goes on to the spirit. Right? We love it when seven goes to eight. Well, here, he's going to let us in on that battle. God showed me things he hasn't showed other people. Therefore, and then he's going to pick up, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Gosh, there's so much there. He says, all right, he says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I don't feel like it. You know, because something ain't right. I mean, he's, he's going to describe his one thing. If I say, and I don't even have to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your brain respond to something without asking your permission. <laughs> Bring to mind the number one spiritual struggle in your life that if this one, if you had victory in this area, it would change everything. Okay, now try not to think about it. All right, it's already shown up. You know what it is, so do I. We know our character, we know our nature, we know the battle. Well, Paul's talking about his one thing, and you feel his irritation and his, his passion around this and his anger and his frustration with God. It's okay. You ever feel that way? Do you feel comfortable enough to express it? Because Paul was, he is struggling, he's wrestling. He said, 
All right, what's my main problem? What was, what was Paul's number one? What was his kryptonite? Conceit. He tells us. To keep me from becoming conceited. To protect me from myself. I was given a messenger. Oh, cool, an angel? Nope. A messenger from Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. I'm talking about this is the part of your nature, your character, your life story, your journey, the way he made you that you're not cool with. And you're begging him to change it. It's the kid who always wanted more. A little was never enough. I like one more. Of what? Of whatever. I get hooked on what makes me feel good, which is very important for the evolution of this thing with me. I've just got to be very deliberate about what I get hooked on. But am I going to change my addictive nature? See, we don't know what Paul's was. Paul, some say it could have been his eyesight. He never got it back after his blinding experience on the road to Damascus. Others say it was his physical deformity from being... Basically, he got lashes four or five different times. He got stoned twice. He got left in the open sea. He was scary to look at. Maybe that was his insecurity. Why you got to make me like this? All I was trying to do was do what you said, and you're going to completely maim me for life so that I'm, a, I'm hard to look at? I can't see. When I'm trying to write to the thing, I got to say, See how I write in big letters. I mean, why, why do I got to do that? Why don't you give me my eyeballs back? I'll write more books for the New Testament. He had his reasons. Maybe it was a nature, it was an affliction. Whatever it was, it was just like you and just like me when I've got something I don't like. Why'd you make me an alcoholic? I did not ask for that. I was born into it. Why? Do you have something like that? Why you got to make me this way? See, what we're doing is we're questioning Psalm 139 and saying, no, either you weren't paying attention when you knit me together in the secret places, or you were and you cursed me. Why are you going to curse me? I could serve you better if I wasn't like this. And yet three times, God's answer was the same. Grace is enough for you, Paul. I want to see it. No, nah, my grace is enough. I want to be recognized. No, nah, you certainly don't need that, Paul. My grace is sufficient. And I want to be important. I want to be validated. I want to be accepted. I want to be embraced. I want to be a freaking apostle like those other dudes. No, nah, my grace is, is plenty for you. But well, why don't you take it away? And he says, and this is the whole punchline. He says, why? Because my power is made perfect in weakness. So why in the heck am I trying to be strong all the time when his power is made perfect in my weakness? And see, Paul came to understand that. He said, oh, okay. So you're saying... When I'm weak, you're strong, Beth. Okay, so you're saying, when I'm really vulnerable with my life and show everybody all my ugliness, 
then that's when you're going to give me superpower. That's it. So if I go and I basically boast in all my mistakes and my failures and my weaknesses, you're going to give me a special kind of power that I don't have. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. So what did Paul do? Everywhere he went, he told his story. We have it three times, but he probably, that's probably why I keep recording it. He'd roll into town, and he'd become whatever he needed to be. To the Jew, he spoke as a Jew. To the Greek, a Greek, a Gentile. To the weak, weak. But he told his Damascus story, and, he, and it got worse. He said, I'm a sinner. And then he said, no, I'm the least of the apostles. And then he got even more deep into it, and he said, man, I'm, I'm the least of all God's people. And then by the end of his life, he said, I am the worst of all sinners. Do you see how he's getting more and more vulnerable? So he didn't try to impress anybody with wise words. Remember when they, they attacked him for that? You weren't even a good speaker, Paul. <laughs> I resolved to know nothing with you except for Christ and him crucified. Remember, it was a simple thing. And then he just said, I'm a blasphemer. I'm a violent man. I don't even be, I'm not worthy to be called. What does that sound like? That's the prodigal. See, Paul was a prodigal. He's just like you and me. He's wrestling with his nature. And so I'm looking at mine going, okay, what do I not like? I don't like my addiction, and I don't like the mental illness that comes with it. How am I going to love that? Is it possible for you to love your shadows? Are there parts of yourself that you hate? Let's be honest. You're actively opposing yourself. Jesus said a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. If I'm a divided man and I love certain parts about me, but I hate certain parts about me and I'm, I'm opposing certain and resisting certain parts about me that God made for me. So what was the key for Paul? Paul, this is a gift. I'm just using the enemy to deliver my message to you that I got I to gotta keep you humble, Paul. I love you. So I started to look at my own, you know, weaknesses like that. How do they serve me? And I thought, man, if you take away my addictive nature, you take away me. That's the best part about me. I'm all in. I feel things deeply. I love to celebrate. You know, it's like, oh, I like it. I like to feel good. When I feel good, you know what I want? I want to feel better. It's like, that's why six beers is good. Twelve is even better than that. (laughs) It's like, I'm that guy. So you take away the substances and whatever it is that's jacking me up. And you remember, and then I tasted that the Lord was good. That's an appetite, man. You give me good stuff and I want more good stuff. You give me some good marriage, and I want an awesome marriage. You give me some intimacy, I want to go deeper. It's like he took, this is the flip side to this ugly, sinful nature. You can look at it and say, man, he's an addict and an alcoholic. Those are labels. Think about how destructive labels are. Think about what they do to people. You can hear a word and never, ever see the same person the same way again. By one word. If I'm cool with me, and I really believe that God made me in his image and not the snake, do you believe that? 
You believe he's made, you're made in his image, or do you believe, no, but we're fallen? Okay, what does that even mean? Do you believe that you're made out of God's stuff, or you're made out of dragon stuff? Period, point blank. It, it matters what you believe to be true about that, because if I believe I'm made in his image, it means I am perfect, and all I got to do is keep uncovering all the stuff that's not him. Michelangelo, when asked, how in the world did you create the sculpture of David? He said it was actually quite simple. I just kept chipping away all the things that weren't David until David remained. That's you and me. Perfect. He made you just the way he wanted you. Why? Because he sees all your days in front of you before one of them came to be. And there is a destiny for you. There are things that you can do that I can't do. There are people that you're going to reach that I can't reach. There are people that only you can reach because they will be disarmed around you. How can I help other alcoholics? Because I feel you. Man, that's how you help somebody else. Now, what if we were like that with one another, carrying one another's burdens, not trying to impress one another, just being real? You know, like real is real gets. Like I'm gratefully addicted wonderfully bipolar. <laughs> Why the laughter? Think about it. Is it okay to say that? I am gratefully addicted. Call me an addict. Oh yeah. And I'm wonderfully bipolar. My brain, it, it goes deep and high. It's my superpower. What the world calls puts a label on it. Forever and ever and ever, you're going to see me that way. And now you get to choose how to filter that information. Because you'll never, ever, ever now begin to see me a different way. When you see Kit, you're going you're gonna, to, that label, I'm challenging you with a label. Because the world is going to tell you this label means this. It is a word. It's nothing but a word. I have a fascinating brain. God made my brain. It runs fast, and then sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> now I can embrace the brain he gave me, and I can say I am going to keep fine-tuning that thing until I see God everywhere. And I'm going to chase it the way that I chose to chase drugs and alcohol. Why? Because that's how he made me. Why would he, if he took away my addictive nature, he takes away me. If he takes away my fascinating brain and gives me a normal model, whatever that is, it's like, you take away me, man. You take away my art. You take away my warrior spirit. Why the heck do you think I can march into a cartel prison and call that a great day? It's because I'm 10 feet tall and bulletproof, man. But then how can I cry with you in a sacred space and weep real tears and feel real pain? It's because he knows how to do that too. Man, come on. It's a superpower. So whatever your thing is that's labeled, that sin has a label. It is a word. It's a word with a bunch of baggage. Whichever one yours is, that one thing, that if God helps me have victory over this thing, then anything is possible for me. But it's your Goliath. It's the bully taunting you on the hill and then you're looking at this little 40 days of prayer and saying man what if he turns my weaknesses into strengths 
Do you realize once you embrace who you really are, and if you can get to the place where I do not care, I have something to say. And there's too many people suffering in silence behind addiction for me to keep my mouth shut. I'm here to say, no, not only can you do this, but this can be your superpower. The world labels you a certain kind of way, whether it's a diagnosis. And now you wear that label. And I, I, I know what the shame of it feels like. I know what the stigma of it is. And yet you can stand and say, God made me the way that I am. And now maybe I got something to say. That if you are one of those like me that has secret challenges going on, there is hope for you. It's the best thing about me now. It makes me who I am. Who are you? Don't all become the same person. We're already kind of, I mean, that happens with a country club or a rotary club or a church or a a street gang. As you adopt the same culture, you adopt the same language, you adopt the same clothing, you adopt little signs, you do little, here's how you get in, here's how you get out. All right, they're all gangs, called a school, a corporation, a church, the Bloods. It's gangs, right? And if we're not careful, we just become the same person, talking about the same stuff, and nothing new is happening in our lives. I don't want that kind of brain, and I don't think you do. It's like I want something really, really real, and I want to know that God is in the details. In the details. He's looking at Paul and he's saying, Paul, you're my special son. I got nobody like you. I mean, you're willing to do things and go places that I can't get the brothers in Jerusalem to do. I got a special calling on your life. But here's the problem, Paul. It's always been about you. You've been lifted up since you were a little boy. All eyes on you, the star pupil, the protege, the child prodigy. And all of a sudden, we we get you in the right spot. Your brain has been programmed to want the spotlight, Paul. I ain't mad at you, but I'm going to give you a little something. And I'll I'll even make the devil do what I want him to do. I think we've given him way too much power. Can I challenge it real quick? All right. Is he all powerful? No, he's limited in his, in his power. He's an angel, okay? He's limited in his power. Is he omnipresent? Can he be all places at, at one no. time? No. He can only be in one place at one time. He's limited in his power. Is he omniscient? Does he know all things? No. no. He's limited in what he knows. He can't even read my mind. All right, but we've made him into this thing where it's like <laughs> he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all present. And he's after me. So this morning, he dropped everything he's got going on in Afghanistan, and he came to the double tree and tried to tempt me. It's like, really? Do you think that really the, you know, Beelzebub himself dropped everything to come and try to tap on your shoulder? Do you think maybe you have some mental habits we need to break? Come on, kid. Which one is more plausible? <laughs> There is an evil force, and we need to be aware of his schemes. But understand this, most of the drama in my life is self-induced. 
It's my limited expectations. It's my flawed self-view. It's my sophisticated excuses that help me be average. Instead of just saying, this is me. You know what? This morning, you're the, you're the first group's ever heard me say what I said this morning. This is it. I, I'm not going to tell you there's not a part of me that's like, here we go. We'll see how this one turns out. I didn't know. So I told God, and I put it in my book. I said, you decide when. I don't know when. So I'm going to let go. And you just kind of take over my mouth. And he seems to have done that yeah. today. <laughs> so I'm like, thanks for nothing. Nice so, so, <laughs> so what y'all, what y'all got to do for me is keep this on the down low. Don't tell anybody my little secret. I'm playing with you. All right, so as we, as we close, um, one, I hope it means something that I feel close enough and comfortable enough with you to bear my soul. I don't, I don't know what's next. I don't know what else I can start. I guess there'll be a new depth. I'm just, if I could give you this. As far as we know, we got one life. You got 86,400 seconds every day. That's it. We're on a use it or lose it plan. You spend those however you want to, and then you get up and you get another 86,400 until we reach that last day that was numbered in the book before one of them came to be. You've got a limited number of days. You're incredibly unique. I couldn't even think of the right word to describe how incredibly unique every single one of us are. There's no shape that God likes best. There's no hue or shade or color that he values above another. There's no height requirement. There's no IQ standard. It's like he's made every one of us fearfully, wonderfully, beautifully knit together, and he puts little thorns where he wants them to help you to accomplish his will and to get what it is I want so bad, which is to be with him forever. Now, would he be the perfect parent if he didn't help his son with something that was going to wreck my dreams and, mm. and his dreams for me? Mm. I made peace with my thorn. I've learned to value my thorn. And now, if you tried to remove my thorn, I would fight you. I don't want a different brain. I don't want your brain. I want mine. Mm. I like my brain. It creates powerful things. What I want you to do over these next 40 days is I want you to examine your brain. You have wired it to see life the way you see it, to see one another the way you see it, to see the outside world, to see authority, to see your neighbor, to see God. We've wired our brains to see things a certain way. And now for 40 days, which is enough, we're going to challenge and see some things differently, but we got to start with how we see ourselves. <clears throat> if I love my shadows, that scares me a little bit. Mm. People are like, how can you hang out with these gangsters all the time and not become? And I'm like, well, that's the trick. My light has got to be brighter than theirs. Yeah. 
my energy has got to be more powerful. It will transmute the energy around it, but it's got to be stronger. That means mine's got to shine bright. I can't have no darkness in my game. That's why it's got to be pure light. It's got to be light. Amen. With you, this 40 days, you can get in touch with your nature. What if you started to love the unlovable parts? What if you, the, the unlovable part for you has to do with your eyes and what they see? And that is the stronghold. And then you figure out on the flip side of that is a beautiful nature that means when you look at things, you, you can focus on things intently and you can keep your focus on beauty and you can learn to admire deeply with your eyeballs the way that the enemy had used it for his darkness. Now God begins to, to use your vision for life. It doesn't have to be a curse. It can be your superpower. Depression can become, it's never going to be necessarily easy, but it can be a sacred place where real depth of character is born. And what if it's not about me anyway? Do you know that my son and I are now walking this journey together? And when my son is in the valley, you think I hate my thorn then? When he needs a father to say, no, son, don't go that way. This path here is how you get back up the mountain. Do you think that I curse my, my thorn now? Or do you think I value it? Because I have carved my freaking way up that mountain so many times to get out of the valley that I know the pathways that I can put my son on them. My daughter, my daughter, who's 24, is two years sober. Do you think as she is going through recovery, we'll both be leading AA meetings together in, the, the, in March? <laughs> We've both been asked. My daughter leading an AA meeting with a bunch of grown folks, and she's okay with me saying that. Do you think as I walk through that with her and we go and pick up chips together, you think I curse God for my addiction? Or do you, th you think I praise him because I get to be there walking with my daughter? So she doesn't have to go through the hell I went through and my son is able to manage some of the hell he's going to have to go through. He didn't ask for it. Curses and blessings. Be careful what we label. Amen. Come on, bro. So I'll finish with this story. And it's where we started when I first saw you guys. And it was Ephesians 3.20. immeasurably more immeasurably more it's like I want that in my life immeasurably more because I ask for a lot and my imagination is one of my greatest gifts is he's given me quite an imagination and so when I was going through in 2020 um, we had a little beach beach house down in uh, Panama City Beach and that was our little getaway, but it was just falling apart. It was just like, couldn't even stay there anymore. Like, it was like that. And then the pandemic came, and we were in quarantine, and we're like, let's go to the beach. <laughs> we can just work from the beach. So we literally just moved down to our little place in the beach. And it was so nasty, we ended up renovating it. And so we were down there for like almost six months. And I'd never been, you guys are near the ocean, you get to go anytime you want. It was a big deal to be down there. I fell in love with the ocean, and we developed a relationship. 
and that was my refuge. I would pray on those beaches because I was going through hell. My wife and I together were battling for our kids. My son was going through his first real intense understanding of this thing. And it was very scary. And my, my daughter is still out there. And remember those 100 nights when Portland was on fire? Yeah. She was in the middle of all that. She was 19. And we were not talking. And it's, I was scared to death every day because both my kids were out there and they were in danger. And they're both cool with me sharing these things. And so I would walk on that beach and I prayed for signs. And down on Panama City Beach, there's no shells. It's not a shell beach. And so... As I'd walk, I'd be like, God, you just got to give me a sign today. Like, just give me a shell. Just show me that you're, you got them, that you're protecting the kids. And I'd walk, and I'd pray, and walk a mile down to where there was this orange kind of thing that you couldn't pass. Because up there, they were doing some kind of environmental reclamation project or something like that. And then I'd walk back, and then all of a sudden, I'd see a shell, and I'd pick it up, and I'd put it in my pocket. And I'd be like, thanks, God. And I'm just like that. It's like playing these little games. Well, weeks went on to weeks. And then finally one day, I mean, I was at the end of my rope. And I'm just like, I'm coming unglued. And I'm praying. And I'm crying as I'm praying. Some of y'all know that kind of prayer. And so I'm praying. And I said, you got to show me something like extra special today. Like you got to really, really show me. I need, I need a big time sign. It's like that. And I'm walking. And I'm praying snot bubbles. And all of a sudden, I get to the orange little, little thing, and the wind had blown it over. And so I was like, hmm. So I just blow it like And it allowed me to go up probably another half a mile up to where they were doing this stuff. And as I was walking along and I'm praying, all of a sudden I look down and I'm like, whoa. And it was a beautiful shell, like a little conch shell. And I put it in my pocket, and then I walked a little further, and I went, there's another one. I put it in my pocket. And then I looked up, and they were kind of sprouting up everywhere. And I put them in my pockets. And so I walk a mile back down the beach, go in there. I said, baby, give me shopping bags. She gives me some bags. And I walk another mile all the way down the beach. I get down there, and I'm putting them in the bags. And I'm, I'm walking back. It's like a workout. I do it three times. I do it for three days. On the last day, I'm coming back with all my booty. And, and there's this little, little couple with a little metal detector, and they've got no shells, and they're just looking around. And I feel bad. I feel like it's kind of like when the Israelites came across that Midian camp, and they were just there, and they'd had all this plunder, and they were like, maybe we should go tell some people. <laughs> you remember that? It was like that. I'm walking down the beach, and then I just looked up, and I said, ma'am. And she went, where did you get those? And I said, just keep walking. And so she went down. Next day I come back and it's flooded with people and, and all the shells are gone. Okay, so when I say a couple shells, no shells are on this beach. The day that I needed the sun. That's what I found. It's like, that's this big. That canister. I said I wanted a shell to show me that you were fighting for my kids because I couldn't be there. And that is what he gave me. He said, you want to know? <laughs> I'm not going to give you a couple shells. I'm going to give you immeasurably more. Like you can't count all those shells because I'm so in the details. 
Like you think you're afraid? I got you, son. I got your daughter. They're mine. I made them perfectly, too. Well, why'd you got to give him? Now I'm dealing with that one. All right, I get why you made my brain like this. Why you got to make his brain like this? So now I'm teaching my son, you're going to have a son one day. And you're going to have to know how to walk up out of these valleys. And so you'll teach him. And maybe that'll be your big why. I appreciate you guys more than you know. I'm excited that we are going to find some bona fide miracles. And we're going to get very cool with ourselves and quit taking ourselves so seriously. <laughs> and I pray that God will open our eyes and we'll be able to see him in all his glory. God bless you guys. Thank you. Every time I'm told to do that, I forget every time. So we need to pray for communion, and I'm honored to be able to do that. Father, thank you so much for this time we spent together today looking at ourselves and looking at you and, and reading about your promises. Father, they're hard for us to believe sometimes. And we struggle with our nature because we want to please you so much. We want our lives to matter, Father, but it's so easy to, to get down on ourselves and actually begin to hate parts of ourselves. This is a time right now as we take the bread, we take the fruit of the vine, and we focus on the perfect sacrifice, perfect. And if his sacrifice is perfect, it means that I am perfect. Help us to believe that and embrace that right now as we take this and we remember the body that was broken for us, and we remember the perfect blood that was shed so that we could be bright, clean, and perfect in your eyes. Father, help us to embrace that promise today as we accept your grace once again, and we pray that you'll be with us, and we always pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.